Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. It is Niall Boylan this Friday afternoon. A very grim Friday afternoon, to be honest, which you're normally heading into the weekend with a smile on my face, looking for something nice to talk about to brighten up your weekends. But unfortunately, I have nothing nice to talk about. Sadly, there's now a realisation that many people in this country most likely died unnecessarily or certainly before their time was due in nursing homes in this country. With over 1,030 people dead in nursing homes, it looks like we missed the boat. It looks like we didn't take the right action to protect those who are actually really vulnerable. We'll talk to Pierce Doherty and Dr. Marcus De Bruyne about that a little bit later on. And also the other steps we took in relation to COVID-19. We need to analyse every single one of them. And if we made mistakes... We made mistakes. But if we made mistakes that we shouldn't have made, people need to be responsible because lives were at stake. We will talk to Sandra a little bit later on, who recently lost her uncle, who was a resident in a care home. He tested positive for COVID-19. However, it was unclear whether the virus actually played a role in his death. He was swabbed for the virus only an hour before he died, yet he was given only just hours to live the day before. Now, while... Uh, She said she was in contact with her care home. She learned they had received a number of new residents, none of whom were tested for the virus. These were people who were moved from hospitals to care homes. And we will talk to Sandra a little bit later on because she believes that the government abandoned and there was failures and they abandoned the people in care homes. But to talk to us first about the money that we're spending maybe in the wrong direction or maybe the suggestion that money should be taken out of the private hospitals is the Fianna Fáil uh, health person and spokesperson and member of the COVID-19 Oireachtas Committee, Stephen Donnelly. Good afternoon to you, Stephen. Niall, hey, thanks for having me on. It's a bit of a grim day. News every single day seems to get worse when it comes to COVID-19. It now looks like the most vulnerable, those people we really should have been focused on, weren't focused on. And now we have a situation where we spent £112 in private hospitals. They haven't really been used, like the Nightingale Hospitals in the UK and many others. And uh, the suggestion is now that we we kind of don't do that anymore. It's unnecessary. Yes, absolutely. And, And just before we get into that, it just... In terms of the nursing homes, if I could just say, we got hundreds of pages of correspondence on Tuesday morning, just 90 minutes before the committee met. We met HICWA and we met the HSC and the nursing homes themselves. And what I raised uh, in the the doll on the day and what I raised with the minister the following day on Wednesday was a really dark picture painted by this correspondence in terms of the nursing homes screaming for help the nursing home saying, we're not comfortable with you sending in patients uh, from the hospitals. Critically, Niall, we got the protocols that were used and what they show is very sobering indeed. It shows that patients... But, but Stephen, that's all well and good and we know this now, but we didn't not know this five or six weeks ago and we spoke to Dr. Marcus De Bruyne uh, three, uh, two weeks ago on this show. We were the only people to actually speak to him because RTE certainly wouldn't interview him and we spoke to him and he himself said that he was working on the front line as a GP in a nursing home and he was denied tests for elderly people when they changed the testing criteria. And they also said that they had taken steps to stop visitors and the HSE and Simon Harris and Neffet had told them, no, open them back up again and let the visitors in. And not only that, they were moving sick patients from hospitals to make way for the rush, I suppose, they were imagining was going to happen or predicted that never really happened in hospitals and moving sick people to nursing homes where there was healthy elderly people who were vulnerable. So, I mean, the whole thing seems to be a complete mess. And to suggest that we didn't know this, when you look at other countries around the world, we were one of the last countries to see COVID-19. We should have seen this in Italy. We should have seen this in Spain and everywhere else. 
and indeed the nursing homes did. As you say, the nursing homes, they moved first. So they said we're bringing in restrictions. And it was only on the 10th of March that uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team even discussed nursing homes. And as you say, what they decided at that meeting was to tell the nursing homes that the visitor restrictions they had put in place were unnecessary. What we did find which out... Was a, which, by your, Stephen, you have to admit that was a huge mistake. Oh, there's no question about it. But, but, but Leo Varadkar sat on the Late Late Show two weeks ago and was asked, was any mistakes made? And he knew well the mistakes because Simon Harris had even spoke about it and said he couldn't think of one off the top of his head. A thou, over 1,030 people and he couldn't think of a, of a mistake they made off the top of his head. Well, look, yeah, it was a political answer. I, I would be astonished if it were true, to be honest, Richard. Tishik is, uh, he is a smart guy, he's a doctor mm. himself, and, and he, he knows, of course, mistakes are made, and he, he, he knows mistakes are made. But what we found out on Tuesday, Niall, we got new detail that we had never had before, because the question I've been asking and others have been asking were, was, what level of testing was done for the patients being moved in? And to give you a bit of, a bit of flavour, we, we also found out the following, that several of the nursing homes at the start of March refused to take the patients in and I managed to secure a letter written by the HSE to the nursing homes uh, saying that there were no issues whatsoever. Um, In fact, I can quote it to you. It says, there are no grounds for greater concern about discharge from hospital at this time as every possible risk assessment and medical assessment necessary will have been carried out. But but Dr. Marcus Saroon told us two weeks ago on the air that he, working in the nursing home, refused to take patients in. Right. So, so, and the HSC then wrote to these nursing homes and said, look, there isn't a problem. Yeah, what, just, so just move is, them in and, and essentially, Stephen, send them to their death. Well, what is very sobering is at that time when the HSC were saying, look, there isn't a problem here, there, were, there was no guidance in place. So Nursing Homes Ireland were writing to the HSC saying, hang on a second, we've no guidance. And what level of testing are you doing? And the testing protocols came out on the 10th of March. Now, remember, this is the same day that Neffet said you can ease your visitor restrictions. And what those testing protocols said will be the subject of some very serious review. Uh, well, well, I can, the, well I can the... tell you now, Stephen, and, I, and I'm going to mention that Marcus Rubin will be on with us in about 10-15 minutes' time. Yeah, okay. Uh, and well, and, and uh, there is new rev- revelations in relation to this and memos that were sent out to doctors working in nursing homes. And we'll talk to Marcus de Bruyne about that in about 10 minutes' time. And I think people will be absolutely horrified and shocked. Uh, and I'm not going to go into too much now, but I will talk to Marcus fine. de Bruyne about that in a few minutes. But getting back to, I suppose, the, the, the other story as well, is the amount of money that we have spent, uh, which could have been spent, by the way, in nursing homes to protect those who we actually knew were vulnerable, uh, was spent in private hospitals when we didn't have the rush and the predictions didn't work out according to... To plan and those predictions were based uh, on a university in the United Kingdom which got it drastically wrong when they said initially uh, Professor Ferguson said that 500,000 people would die we got it drastically wrong too thankfully by the way that that many people didn't die but we predicted this and because of that uh, we spent a fortune on private hospitals that were never actually used so there's two bits to this right there's the initial decision to take over the private hospitals because of a potential surge that was the right decision to make. Uh, and I was talking to an awful lot of doctors, an awful lot of intensive care specialists at the time who were fully supportive of us because our doctors and all of us, we were looking at these images of car parks in Italian hospitals and Spanish hospitals where people were fighting for their lives and being treated in car parks. That's right. And horrible so- scenes of triage in Italy, which, which, were, which were disgusting to everybody to see people basically being told you're going to die. 
That's and, right. And they were horrible scenes. But but again, I say to you, Stephen, we should have looked at the data and said the majority of those people, where well, there was a median age of probably 84 to 85 years of age. Most of those people from northern Italy. You know, so we should have seen that. Well, m- maybe we should. But I, I can tell you, I, I was talking to an awful lot of very experienced, very good intensive care specialists and immunologists at the time. And pretty much everyone I spoke to supported initially taking over the hospitals because we could never have a situation uh, like they had in Italy. So I fully support taking over the hospitals when we thought we might be dealing with that. And remember, we were setting up military triage tents in the car park. There was, of there was one of the point depot here as well at one stage. It was never used, but it was there at one stage, remember? Yeah, yes. so, so that preparation I think is absolutely fine and I, and I don't criticise it. However, what I've been calling on for weeks now is the immediate cancellation of the ongoing contract because it's clearly not working. We're paying $115 million a month and probably more when you factor in additional costs for a private healthcare system that we have essentially shut down. So uh, two and three beds in the private hospitals today aren't being used. A lot of the operating theatres are closed. The outpatient clinics aren't happening as as they are. The rationale for the HSE now or for the government now has been, well, we need it for extra capacity because the capacity in the HSE hospitals is down. Now, my view and Fianna Fáil's view is, hang on a second, the intention is good, public patients, private patients, people who are sick need care, but not like this, because what we're doing is we're paying a vast amount of money to shut down hospitals. So what we want to see is we want the contract, we would end the contract today, take that money, give it to the National Treatment Purchase Fund, and let it uh, buy the treatment for, for public patients. So, not so for only- those patients who have had their uh, uh, operations postponed or cancelled or put forward, and we all have talked, of course, Stephen, about the secondary deaths from COVID-19 and those who've had undiagnosed cancers, heart diseases uh, and other illnesses or those who've been literally afraid to go to hospital. Um, you know, we need to obviously get those people looked after now before we're looking at a catastrophe in a year's time. We do. And, and what we've seen, one of the very sobering things we've seen, Niall, is, the, is a fall of about 50% in, in referrals to the rapid access clinics. So that's when you go to your GP and your GP says, you may have cancer, I'm going to get you in and I'm going to get you assessed. The referrals have fallen by 50%. Well, that, well that's, not, that's not surprising, considering that we were told that, you know, 20 uh, should I say, patients a day in a GP's office with so many GPs around the country is probably about 60,000 uh, appointments per day in GP's offices, whereas now we're seeing a huge reduction in that and people are not spotting the early signs of illness. They're not spotting, uh, you know, routine operations and things they should need to go into a day ward for, etc., etc., which could turn out to be worse in the long term if not diagnosed. So I absolutely applaud you for what you're suggesting. Absolutely, that money should be taken out and lo- those people looked after. And also, could some of that money or other money be now ring-fenced when we now realise that the most important people in this country are those who are over the age of 80 and the majority of those are in care homes uh, across the country. 25,000 people in this country in care homes. Yeah, that's right. The financial support package needs to be extended. So, for example, when, when it came about, uh, the government said it's only for residents who are on the Fair Deal scheme. Well, to the best of my knowledge the disease does not differentiate between people who are on the fair deal scheme and people who are not on the fair deal scheme. So that the nursing homes are saying, hang on a second, we have to provide this additional level of care to all our patients, or sorry, to all of our residents, uh, not just to those who are on the fair deal scheme. So we, we need to see that expanded. The other thing, uh, Niall, that I've been calling on for weeks, and I can't get any movement on it, and I, I, it, it, is, it is very frustrating, is the nursing homes still don't have a voice in the one room that matters, which is on the National Public Health Emergency Team. The minister has repeatedly said to me, they don't need to be on it. Uh, They're represented by HICWA, the health regulator. I put that directly to HICWA. 
uh, in committee on Tuesday and said, hang on, the minister is saying you are the voice of the nursing homes. I have minutes for meeting after meeting after meeting of NEFIS that you attended and nobody raised nursing homes. Hickwa said, we are not the voice of nursing homes. We're the healthcare regulator. So one of my fears is, were mistakes made? Yes. Some mistakes were always going to be made. This is a completely unprecedented situation. But we need to learn from those mistakes. One of the mistakes, clearly, is that the nursing homes didn't have a voice. So the state's response was, uh, we're going we're gonna to help the GPs deal with this. We're going to help our hospitals deal with this. And in fairness, a lot of good work was done there. But the nursing homes, the most vulnerable section of our entire society to COVID-19, had no voice. I believe that's a major and, and let's not under, they, and didn't, let's, and, they didn't get any support. And Stephen, let's not underplay the words most vulnerable because clearly we can see now from the data, particularly in this country, in the United Kingdom and across the world, and, and Italy is no exception because obviously they have a very elderly population. 13% of our population is over the age of 65. 18% is over the age of 65 in the UK. Hence, they have more debts than us. Um, and we should have been looking at these people and saying, these are the ones we focused on because realistically, as somebody mentioned to me yesterday, a professor from the UK, that he watched a woman walk around Tesco's in her 40s with a mask on her and he said she had fear in her eyes, terrified, avoiding everybody and said statistically in the United Kingdom and probably in Ireland as well, realistically, she's more chance of dying in a car crash on the way to the shop than she has of actually walking around. So we put fear into everybody in this country when realistically the only ones, when I say the only ones, of course there was exceptional cases and there was people under the age of 65 that died, I'm not saying there isn't, but the ones who were really at risk were the ones that we completely abandoned and ignored. Well, there's two things here. Yes, we know from, from the, the figures, tragically, that, this is, that, that the disease is particularly bad for older people. It's also particularly bad for people who have underlying conditions. I would just say, I, I saw your tweet on, on uh, a few days ago on the, the woman who was walking around the supermarket. Mm-hmm. I would just say, be careful of the anecdotes, because we, we will see people walking around supermarkets uh, here in Ireland, and they will be being very careful, and maybe they've got face masks, we don't know what's going on in their lives. Absolutely. So we they could have an underlying condition. Absolutely. But what Stephen were focusing condition. on it. She, she, could be a, she could be a health worker in a nursing home. Okay. So there's a lot of people who we may think aren't at risk, but actually they are for very good But reasons. I think the point taking, of the taking, tweet uh, I was making, precautions. Stephen, the point of the tweet I'm making is we're focusing on the general population. And I'm not saying we shouldn't to some extent. Absolutely. And everybody needs to be cautionary because we don't know if we're in contact with somebody who might have an underlying condition. I appreciate that. But what what we should have been really focused, and I've been saying it for weeks and nobody was listening to me, is those who are actually going to die and those who are actually at risk. We didn't focus on them. Most of the focus should have been on them. It should. And what we need to be asking ourselves right now, because there will be time, I have no doubt, for full public inquiries and reviews on, on, on what happened. The question for us right now, because we are still in the middle of this, is have we learned the lessons and are we doing things better now? In some cases, we are. But for example, not giving the nursing homes a voice in the room where the decisions are being made, that's not right. Not giving them the, the full range they need, that's not right either. So there are, and, and, and keeping the private hospitals uh, operating at one third capacity uh, is not right. So my, my concern is not necessarily at a governmental level, at a policy level, it doesn't feel to me like we are implementing the kind of learnings that are clearly there that, that you talk about, that you've been tweeting about, that you cover on your show on, a, on an almost daily basis. 
All right, well, listen, thank you very much indeed. And I appreciate you coming on the air. Fianna Fáil, her Thanks, health person, uh, spokesperson and member of the COVID-19 Oireachtas Committee, Stephen Donnelly. Now, after the break, by the way, I will be talking again to Dr. Marcus de Bruyne. Um, we have more information in relation to what the HSE memorandum had said to him. I'll also be talking to Pierce Doherty from Sinn Féin. Oh, it just makes you angrier and angrier. The confidential health service executive figures obtained by the Irish Times show for the first time the precise impact of COVID-19 pandemic and those living in care homes and residential facilities. And I have to say, they published these figures today and it is absolutely outrageous. 1,030 deaths, almost 60% of the deaths in this country were in settings in nursing homes. I'm not going to read them all out to you, but just let me read the top five to you here. This just makes such grim reading. Uh, Ryvale in Leakslip, 35 people died. Tara Wintrop, a private clinic in Swords, 29 people died. Marymount Care Centre in Lucan, 28 died. Phoenix Park Community Nursing Unit, 25 people died. Kiltipper Woods, 23 people died. These are shocking figures and joining me on the air is Dr. Marcus Tabun, who we spoke to about a week and a half ago in relation to this and also Sinn Féin uh, Deputy Leader Pierce Doherty also joins me as well. Uh, Marcus, let me just go to you first. Marcus, you're not surprised by these figures, are you? No, is <laughs> the short answer there, Niall. There's, um, um, I, I'm saddened by them, I think, as most people are, you know. I suppose we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, there's the, the kind of the common phrase behind every statistic. There, there, there's a person, you know, there's, there's, there's families behind those numbers. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that the, the, the victims are, are one thing, but the, the family members, you know, during the process, not being able to, to go and see and not being able to visit and not be to be with a loved one um, who's dying was probably, at least in my experience, when I'm talking to, to families, that certainly is one of the most difficult aspects of, of all of this. But okay, the short answer is no. no and not. just to clarify, by the way, for people who weren't listening last week, of course, you were appointed by Simon Harris himself uh, to the Irish Medical Council. Uh, you were a doctor, you're a GP, uh, you've worked in the nursing home sector and you resigned uh, going back about a month and a half ago, two months, month and a half ago now it would be, uh, because you weren't happy with the way the HSC were dealing uh, with people who are in these settings. Now, you sent me a letter because you mentioned this letter on the air or this memorandum that you had got from the HSC at the time and you've sent me a copy of it which I've passed on as well uh, to Sinn Féin uh, Deputy Leader Pierce Doherty and a part of this letter it goes on about t- the testing and to remind people again of the, of the timeline of this uh, Marcus if you possibly could um, in other words what had happened was there was testing available for people in care homes they had tried to move people in your facility from a hospital setting to the care home but you refused to allow that to happen at the time and, and just give me an idea of the timeline just before this memorandum was set out, sent out to you well, we we tr- we tried to 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 you know I mean I suppose as this was unfolding we 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 did or at least the, you know uh, the the management at the nursing home where I'm at and myself we did try and contact um, public health and 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 get some help assistance or guidelines as this was kind of unfolding we tried to get numerous things um, done we tried to organise extra oxygen we tried to, to and remind people they wouldn't give you the oxygen unless you sent back the empties. 
Well, that yes, that was the that was the line from. I, I don't think that that was the line from the gas company as such, okay. and that they wouldn't accept the the bottles unless we could give them empty empty um, bottles in return. So we we were trying to to stock up and have enough oxygen for residents. I mean, you know, I suppose people have to understand that you know uh, the end stage of, of of seeing somebody dying with with COVID is a very a very horrible thing, but certainly di- death by the dying. For, from COVID is a, it's a respiratory um, failure, respiratory distress. People essentially can't breathe. So, so trying okay. to have oxygen. Okay, but, but from a doctor's point of view, and I don't mean to you, but from a doctor's point of view, the best care that you can give to a patient is when you can diagnose what's actually wrong with them. Now, at that point, you were able to test patients because if they had symptoms, for example, like a temperature or a cough, uh, you could get a test for them or you were, you were basically told to get a test. But that testing criteria changed in the HS and what date did that t- testing criteria change again? Well, on the on the twenty first, on the twenty first of March, the, the HSE issued um, GPs who were looking after nursing homes and nursing home management um, new criteria, and they essentially said that you know if you have a, a resident uh, in your nursing home who has COVID, then you know we're not going to to test anyone else. Um, just assume that they all have it. Okay, so I, I want to read that from the memorandum, and it says following confirmation of a COVID positive diagnosis within a unit centre, uh, then it is, is assu- it is assumed that all residents presenting with symptoms are COVID positive. Multiple re-referrals to NAS uh, for potential COVID cases should be avoided. In other words, what did you take from that? Well, basically, it took from it what it said. It said that, you know, just assume they all have it, you know, uh, and, 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 and not to test, uh, not to, not, that other residents at the nursing home weren't eligible and weren't going to be tested, you know. And, and meanwhile, we were testing people in the community who weren't at, really at risk, to be honest with you. You know, little Johnny, whose mother might have rang up, who had a bit of a cough and a, and a runny nose. We, we were testing those, because you were working in your GP practice, were testing those people that used to frustrate you. Now, I just want to go to Sinn Féin Deputy uh, Leader Pierce Doherty. Um, Pierce, you've read this memorandum that was sent out to GPs who are looking after the elderly in these settings. Uh, what is your immediate reaction to that? Uh, Niall, I, I must say this, this is uh, shocking to see this in black and white. Um, we've been saying now for, for quite a while from the information that has appeared between the Nursing Homes Ireland and the, the, the HSE and the Department of Health, that it appears that there was uh, an abandonment of, of elderly people in, in residential settings. And we see the trauma and the scale of that in the, in the, in the numbers that were published in, in that secret document by the HSE, a document when we were questioning them last Tuesday on these figures said that they didn't have the information and, and, and the numbers that you, you read out there, Niall, just, you know, because it's very close to my own heart and, and here in Donegal, uh, the numbers tell their own story and obviously behind each one is a grieving family, but if I take a nursing home here in Donegal, nearly half of all residents died as a result of COVID-19, uh, you know, and we need answers in relation to this and this memo here, which basically says that, you know, forget about testing um, uh, 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 residents who have symptoms in, in, in the facility if there is already a positive case there. It also completely ignores the fact that there's a large number of people who are asymptomatic, uh, who aren't displaying symptoms uh, and who were who were potentially spreading the virus within a, a residential setting as well. But see, Marcus's uh, frustration was, and I talked to Marcus earlier on, his frustration was that He's a doctor. He's dealing with people who are close to end of life, many of them, um, who may have, you know, a good bit of time 
left in their lives, but sadly this took them yeah. early. And he's dealing with them and he didn't know what was wrong with them. He didn't know how to care for them. When I say didn't know how, obviously he would do his best as a doctor, but he didn't know if they were COVID positive. He didn't know what kind of precautions should be taken to isolate them if necessary. And he was also dealing with a situation where hospitals were trying to clear out the decks and put sick people in beside healthy people. Yeah, and look, you know, remember the time frame of this memo as well, and, and you know, what Marcus is saying is absolutely, uh, you know, 100% spot on there. Um, you know, this is about 10 days after, uh, you know, the Department of Health came, came in and overturned the decision of, of nursing homes to restrict visitors. Uh, this is also at a time when the advice to the general public uh, was that we need to cocoon our elderly. Uh, yet the elderly within the residential settings, it was basically said to clinical practitioners, GPs, you know, forget about testing them uh, and don't be testing people where you think there's a low probability of, of COVID. Uh, they're saying that that should be discouraged. Uh, you know, if there is a probability of COVID within somebody uh, in, a, in a nursing home setting, given the fact that we knew from all our own data and also internationally that the highest risk of, of death was within an elderly population, of course, they are exactly the people that we should be testing, uh, you know, uh, because they were the people who were more at risk. But this is put it in black and white, that they use the word should be discouraged, that, you know, multiple referrals to this uh, should be avoided. Uh, and this was very clearly in black and white, in my view, the state abandoning these patients uh, and residents. Now, I understand further guidance was issued uh, at, at, at a later period, uh, but it shows very clearly the thinking. At well, at a later period, it was too late, Piers, at that stage. And, and Marcus, can I ask you a question? In your view, by the way, if you had had the right facilities, if you had had the testing, if you had had the oxygen, if you had had, uh, I suppose, more facilities available to you by the HSC at that particular time when we'd have been focused on those who we knew, and to suggest that we didn't know would be ridiculous, by the way, because we were the last country probably to get COVID-19. We could see the data from other countries. If you would have had that, do you think those figures, I mean, when we look at the figures of 1,030 people died in those settings out of the 1,600 and whatever it is that died in this country, do you believe that you could have saved or certainly elongated the lives of many of those residents? Oh, I'm quite confident that that's the that's the case. I mean, you know, it, it, it's important to remember those that memorandum was issued to us on the 21st of March, and that situation wasn't changed and wasn't reversed until the 9th of April. So that situation was in place for for three weeks. You know, so we you know, and it wasn't the case that we were just being advised. You know, residents who I had put on the list to request a test to try and get a, a diagnosis were were booted off the list without me being informed I was the the HSE wrote to me and wrote to nursing homes on the 9th of April and said we've changed our minds you can put some of the or you can put those residents back on the request on the waiting list for 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 testing but at that stage you know some of them had died you know the it's it's not a question I suppose you know of, of I think it's 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 entirely obvious that a lot could have been done and a lot of people could have been saved had there been a degree of focus on on nursing homes but you know it, it one thing it's very important to bear in mind is that as i say testing in nursing homes to try nursing homes we've got 25,000 people or we had 25,000 people in nursing homes in ireland these people are frail and and have some underlying conditions now it doesn't mean that they're all at death's door that's entirely not true but a lot of the re- residents in nursing homes already have respiratory conditions already have um, um issues with with respiration and issue other medical issues so to 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 have the uh, to to be denied the 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 possibility of testing
testing to figure out, well, is this COVID or is this not COVID, to be told that you're to consider that they all have it. I mean, that created huge, huge difficulties for the sector and certainly for the nursing staff and for any hopes of isolation, any hopes. I mean, to give you a very simple example, COVID-19 is a viral infection. If you can do a test on someone and it says that this is COVID-19, well, then there's no no room for antibiotics or that sort of thing in a viral illness. But if you can do a test and say, well, hey, this isn't COVID-19. It's pneumonia. yeah. You can institute, you can institute anti- antibiotics, you can institute, you know, various forms of treatment. So, you know, the people who needed the tests the very, very most were not just simply kind of put on a waiting list, which itself, I think, if, even if things, if they were allowed to sit on a waiting list, they shouldn't have been just put on a waiting list. They should have been made the priority, never mind the present situation where they were actually booted off and denied testing. And I can't understand how there is no level of political accountability. It goes back and forth with politicians and, and figures and everything else. You know, th- this was... Okay, I, I, and I, want to, I want to be fair, the HSC, we contacted the HSC uh, to both you, uh, just to give you the response. They wouldn't come on the air, but they said the memo issued on March the 21st last reflected the public health advice at, the point in, at that point in time. This took into account the overall national capacity to analyze COVID-19 tests and the fact that one of uh, that once a facility had confirmed a COVID-19 case uh, then other patients displaying similar symptoms should be considered to be positive the public health advice evolved as the understanding of the disease evolved and the national capacity to analyze COVID-19 tests increased during April a national mass testing of both staff and patients was initiated in long-term care facilities with confirmed or suspected outbreaks and a mass testing for, of staff and at other facilities was also undertaken but Pierce it was too late at that stage as uh, Dr. Marcus Darun has rightly pointed out, at that stage we'd already seen the spike. We'd seen the majority of those who would be at risk had probably got it and died. And yet these people were left, um, you know, abandoned. And that's literally is. And he's asked a fair question now, Pierce. Is somebody going to be accountable for not just a mistake? Mistakes are something that happen when you don't have information. We had the information. We've seen what happened in Italy. We've seen what happened in Spain. We've seen what happened in China. We've seen what happened in loads of other countries. The data was there to show us exactly where people were dying. And we made not just a mistake. It was absolutely catastrophic what we did. Absolutely. You're 100% right. And that's why we've said and I've said that, that, that it's inevitable that there'll be a public inquiry because so many people have lost their lives and because the sector was abandoned. There was no plan for the sector. There was no plan in terms of testing. We see that very clearly in terms of the memo. Indeed, the plan was counterproductive. It was it was working against the best interests of, of, of residents within those settings. There was no plan in terms of PPE. There was no plan in terms of patient transfer and, and testings before uh, patients were transferred from the acute facilities. And but, but Marcus, Marcus, yeah, but Pierce, Marcus resigned a month and a half ago. He wrote a letter in the Irish Independent, you may remember it, and yeah. he was written off by many people as a nutter, and I'm sorry, Marcus, to say that, but he was written off as, uh, here's somebody with an axe to grind, here's somebody who's nuts. Clearly, he was on the front line in both situations and sectors where he was in a nursing home and he was in a GP's office, and he was watching somebody gasping for air and dying at 80 years of age who could have been helped a bit more by having a test and understanding what was wrong with that person. And meanwhile, he was going back to his surgery and Mary was ringing, saying, my son has a runny nose and a bit of a cough, and she was getting a test, but this person who was dying wasn't getting a test. I mean, yeah. that's why the man resigned. 
Yeah, and 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 I, and I appreciate the work that he, that he has done in the medical council and the reasons for he's resigned. And I think he's been vindicated because what we see is more and more information starting now to creep out. Um, we see from the the document dump that came out from the Department of Health, 400 pages just before the COVID committee was about to sit, uh, shown very clearly that nursing homes were basically sending begging letters on a daily basis, looking for plans, looking for testing, looking for support, uh, and that was falling in deaf ears. We know throughout this. Period Period and, and do, including when this memo was issued, that nursing homes were looking to to meet with the minister for health for over a, a month now at this stage, and the minister was refusing to meet with them. Now, like you know, let's put this in context. Like COVID has caused huge amount of heartbreak throughout. Uh, yeah, but nation. not just from the point of death. So from, the, from the from the economy's point of view, when people are in no. despair, you know, and losing their jobs and all that kind of yeah. thing as well. Yes, but but, but, but a lot those, of that appears was completely unnecessary. Yeah, that's my point. 60% of those happen in residential settings, and yet when the residential sector was looking to meet with the minister for an entire month during this crisis, when we've seen what happened in Italy, when we've seen what happened in Spain, when we knew that those were the most vulnerable, these were the people we needed to protect most. And we that failed. That's why cocooning came in. Absolutely. And, 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 and I'm pretty sure, Marcus, you take absolutely no joy in the fact that you've been vindicated over the last few days. And certainly, by the way, you haven't been on RTE because I don't think anybody wanted to listen to you. We spoke to you uh, two weeks ago, uh, but very few people wanted to listen to you. And why do you think that was, Marcus? Marcus, why do you think that you've been ostracised, literally? Well, I mean, in fairness, I, I did get some requests to speak on RT, but I'm very, very saddened and disappointed by the the, the, the stance or the line that RT is taking. I mean, if you look at some of the publications, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but if you look at the, the, the Sweden, we talked about that the last time we spoke about the, the, the example between Sweden and, and Ireland and the publication that George Lee made um, in terms of kind of justifying the lockdown and justifying what's going on. You know, there's been almost, there's been an attempt to kind of justify these debts and justify, you know, what what has happened in the context of some sort of kind of bigger picture or greater good. And, they, you know, I, I find that very, very frustrating. So I haven't engaged with with, with, with people from, from RTE because, to be perfectly honest, I, I think that they're part of the problem here. I think that there's a, that questions have to be asked about the relationship between RTE and the government and TV license fees. And I know that's, look, outside of the scope of what we're talking about, but I have very little interest in talking to people unless I, I'm, I'm reasonably assured that there's going to be some degree of, of impartiality in, 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 in analysing the facts. Do you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's. I think you look. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a member of a political party. Um, I'm deeply saddened at at what's happened. I think that you know, from a political point of view, and this is just my opinion, but I think that the the notion that the Green Party is propping up this government and that Eamon Ryan has been promised tarnished or Taoiseach for a year or whatever, been bribed to kind of keep all of this going. We had a, the gov- the doll was dissolved in January, and this government has been trundling along now because of the lockdown in my mind and because of kind of um, it's... Well, they're most likely, yes, I think everybody would agree that there most likely would have been a second election and I find it uh, undemocratic now that we have a situation where we... And it's a bigger argument, obviously, that we have a government possibly going into power that people didn't really vote for and Sinn Féin, of course, have been left out of the loop who got a large percentage of the vote and people want to change but certainly they're not going to get that change and that's a whole other question, of course, Piers. But I think Marcus makes a really good point that we're distracting people from what's actually really going on here while the government are forming uh, well while the parties are forming a government in the background yeah look uh, you know i think the, the issue in terms of government formation look it's a separate issue and obviously we're being excluded because 
those parties don't want the change that people voted for. But, you know, like like I said, there's only one committee sit, uh, sitting in the House of the Rockers. There's usually 22 it's to look at the COVID issue. Uh, and I take my responsibilities as an as a elected representative of the people very seriously. But when I question senior officials in the HSE and ask them basic questions, and they tell me that they're not, the information isn't available. And then I read in the Irish Times yesterday that the HSE has a secret report with exactly all the information I was looking for. That furiates me. And that's why we're demanding that these Paul Reid, uh, that the head of the Department of Health come in before the committee and answer questions, including the likes of this memo. Because basically, you know, information is power. Information is where you shine light in it. Well, 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 this memo makes it very clear the attitude that was taken by the HSE uh, with regards to nursing homes and elderly people who are at end of life. This particular part of this memorandum makes it extremely clear. Now, we did obviously get on to the Irish College of General Practitioners as well. And we asked them a bunch of questions that we're talking to you today about. And they said, thank you very much for your questions. I'm referring to them um, for an answer, but it is not possible to get a reply by your deadline today. Our members are full-time working doctors. It will be early next week before we could possibly answer this in full. Um, I believe it's more important than that, and I think they could have come up with some answers in relation to it, but unfortunately they didn't. Um, uh, Now, I think going forward, I think, I imagine you're going to raise this, uh, Piers, yourself, this particular information about this particular memorandum, because it clearly shows that after what we've seen in the Irish Times yesterday, that we basically abandoned the elderly and those who are vulnerable. Yeah, and I think it, 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 it's going to require a level of detail. And I think what we need to encourage, Niall, we need to encourage more people to come forward uh, within the nursing home sector, including employees and managers of the nursing home sector, to come forward with the real information as to what was happening. I know, uh, and many of my colleagues will, will have calls from people that are working on the front line, but they are scared to their wit's end of, of bringing information to light uh, because they are feared that they have to you know, work with the HSC and there's type of a gagging order in relation to, 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 to public uh, sector workers there. So, But, 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 but Pierce, will you, will you be honest to admit, and, and, I'm, and you are an honest man, will you be honest to admit that bad decisions, not mistakes, because mistakes are something that we have no control over, but bad decisions were made that cost many lives? I think, I, I think it's very hard to say when, well, what was a mistake and what was a bad decision. But I think the evidence has emerged to show that this is now a bad decision. So there's too many things that have happened here. You know, we see this memo which basically says don't test people in nursing homes, just expect that they're all, they're, the bulk of COVID, everyone has it. Well, and, well and I think the last line, multiple referrals to, 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 to NASA for potential COVID cases should be avoided. In avoided. other words, we have enough to be dealing with. Don't be selling any more to us. We, exactly. know, we know they have it and they're probably going to die anyway. That's, that's what I take out of that. And, and, and we know that the minister refused to meet. And I've said... I don't know if that's the minister's own decision. Like, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling because we have a junior minister for elderly people, Jim Daly, who didn't stand for re-election, uh, who, wasn't, who didn't make any public utterances during this period. He was still being paid and he still had the responsibility and all the rest. So, you know, it was the senior minister that, the, that, that this fell on the shoulders. Was the Department of Health advising him or the HSE advising him not to meet with the nursing home sector in which 60% of the tragedies have now the deaths have now appeared in those settings, including, as I said, in my own in nursing homes in my own county, where half of the residents died as a result of COVID nineteen. Like that is, if that was just the story there, and that was nothing else, that no other fatalities happened anywhere else, that would be big enough in itself. Where 
half of the residents lost their lives as a result of COVID-19. And we know from people on the ground that there was major, major issues. Okay. You know, people crying out for PPE, wearing, you know, painters. Well, well I'm going to come to that later on when I am going to talk to a young... Okay, well, I'm going to yeah. come to the PPE later on because I will be talking to Sandra, whose uncle died, and when she went to the nursing home to see him, nobody was wearing PPE. But Marcus, I'll just leave the final word in relation to you. What, what have we learned or what do you believe we have learned from this memorandum that you have exposed today? Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly haven't learned anything new, but I, I would hope that, that people can see that it is quite clear that, that, that the elderly were abandoned, you know, entirely abandoned, that it wasn't the case that there was a rationing of tests or anything like that. I mean, the, it's, it's a, we're in a very, very, looking at a very, very bizarre reality where the people that all of this lockdown and all of these measures were put in place to protect, that those people were actually denied. I mean, there's a, there's a the testing the very people who needed it the most and you know there's a there's a fundamental issue there in terms of i think on a bigger scale as to how politics interacts with people you know okay. most, most of these measures were kind of to keep everybody or keep large swathes of the voting public i mean nursing home patients for the most part they're not consumers they're not voters and for that sense i think they were politically abandoned you know and i think okay. that's a very sad reflection on us as a society all right listen thank you very much indeed and thank you for uh, releasing obviously that letter or that memorandum dr marcus de and thank you very much indeed Sinn fein uh, deputy leader pierce starty for joining us on the air today absolutely shocking if you've been listening to the show for the last 45 minutes i want you to be angry Angry. I want people to be angry because I've been angry for the last three weeks and nobody is listening to me. Dr. Marcus de Bruyne has been angry and now, thankfully, Marcus and probably myself have been vindicated in what I've been saying all along. The focus should never have been really on the general population. Yes, we should have educated people. Yes, we should have warned people to be conscious of the fact that we had a virus in our midst. But the focus should have been on those who were going to die. And we clearly can see now of the 1,660 people, I think it is, that have died in this country and they all have loved ones. And my condolences to every single last one of you. But to the 1,030 people in this country who were in care homes, the shocking figures today show that those are the people who passed away because clearly we abandoned them. We went as far as saying, I'll tell you what, we're not even going to bother testing you. That's really what this letter says. That's what the letter's from the agency. Let me read the line out again. Following confirmation, that this is just before the peak and the spike, following confirmation of a COVID-positive diagnosis no, doses, uh, within a unit centre, then it is assumed that all residents present, presenting with symptoms are COVID-positive. Multiple re-referrals to NAS for potential COVID cases should be avoided. Meanwhile, GPs were testing people in the country. There was no shortage of tests. We did. Obviously, we could have done more of them. But tests were being used on people we didn't need to test. Little Johnny, who was 12 or 13, with a snotty nose and a cough. Or Mary, who was 27, who felt a bit unwell and happened to have been in contact with somebody with COVID, was being tested. They were perfectly fine. They were going to get through it fine. Meanwhile, Mary or Peter or Paul or whoever they were in a care home who was over the age of 80 was lying on a bed gasping for breath and nobody even knew they had COVID-19 so they couldn't have been treated properly. It is absolutely shocking and this will be one of the biggest scandals in the health system in this country for many, many decades. So many people in this country died unnecessarily. Yes, many of those people were at end of life. I appreciate that. And for those who think, oh, 
Shit, they were probably going to die anyway. You say that to their daughters, to their sons, to their brothers and sisters. Shit, they were going to die anyway. Those people were not going to die anyway. Some of them may have died. Some of them were terminally ill. Yes, many of them had breathing problems. Yes, many might have had heart disease or cancer. And I understand that and I get that. But out of the 1,600 people who died in this country, that the government are slapping themselves on the back all week saying, look at the thousands of lives that we've saved. Where are they getting these figures from? Because they failed the people they should have been protecting from the very start. The suggestion that we didn't know, the suggestion it was a mistake. And for Leo Varadkar to sit there on the Late Late Show when he was asked by Ryan Tuberty if there was any mistake that you made, what do you think it was? And he sat there with a gormless face, not knowing what the answer to that question was, giving a political answer, as Pierce Doherty said, or Stephen Donnelly, a political answer. In other words, he didn't say it. He wouldn't turn around and say, we made a huge mistake. Not a mistake, a bad decision when it came to people in nursing homes. 1,030 of the deaths in this country, the vast majority of the deaths, still continuing to happen, were in nursing homes. Nursing homes. It was obvious from the start, but we failed them. The letter and the memorandum today that Dr. Marcus De Bruyne has given us clearly shows that there was no point in sending or giving and testing people who had COVID-19 in care homes. In other words, we just abandoned them. And I want you all to be angry. I want you to go to my Twitter account and have a look and retweet everything that Marcus De Bruyne and Pierce Doherty and Stephen Donnelly said today. Retweet the figures. The Irish Times, of course, revealed the figures yesterday for those who had died in nursing homes. The majority, and those figures are absolutely catastrophic. They are, this is disgusting. That we would prioritise somebody who is in their 20s, who is healthy, who didn't really need a test, who was probably going to be asymptomatic anyway, and we gave them a test, but we abandoned a, per- a person, a mother, a father, a brother or a sister in a nursing home and didn't even bother testing them. Because, sure, they're going to die anyway. Oh, my. Let me go to Sandra. Sandra, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Sandra? Hi, Niall. How are you? I am, first of all, can I give you my condolences? I'm, I'm sorry I'm a little bit angry today, but can I give That's you my... okay. Con- I'm very angry, too. <laughs> okay. My condolences on the loss of your Thank uncle, you. who was residing in a care home. And he had tested positive for COVID-19. However, it was a bit unclear whether the virus actually played a role in his death. First of all, let's talk about your uncle. And, and what, what condition was he in at that stage, or what age was he, first are you there, Sandra? Oh, we get her back a second. We just lost her line there for a second. We'll try and get her back. But Sandra's uncle, he was in a care home. It was unclear whether the virus played a role in his death, but he was swabbed for the virus only an hour before he died. Uh, yet he was given only just hours to live the day before. Uh, Sandra obviously will tell us that she was in contact with the care home and she learned they had received a number of new residents. Um, oh, I think she's back. She can tell us herself. I'm back. Yeah, sorry, Sandra. We lost you there for a second. Sandra, yeah. obviously, your uncle, tell us a little bit about him first. And what age was he? Uh, 77. 77 years of age. Okay, yeah. still plenty of life left in him. I mean, I mean, nowadays, okay. of course, yeah. yeah, people lived a lot longer. And yeah. obviously, you'd been back and forward to see him a, a few times before all the pandemic started and all the, the conversation in the news started. And how, we, how was he at that stage? Uh, 
Um, I did. I like. I have to travel. I'm a couple of hours away from. But I did look after his care and stuff while he was going into the nursing home. And it's just himself and his wife, so they'd no kids. So there'd be a lot of nieces and nephews around the place. Okay. Um, and I would have travelled up. So the end of February, the last 29th of February, actually would have been the last day that I got in to see him in the nursing home. Okay, because at that uh, stage, the, was, the nursing home had made a decision themselves, obviously, to, to restrict visitors, I suppose. They did that week. Um, I got in for probably about a half an hour that day. Okay. And then they kind of shut the doors that following week, then around, I think, 6th of March or something. I kind of have two emails and bits and pieces myself. I kind of keep documentation of it all. But um, he was in good spirits. He had lost a lot of weight since Christmas because with the dementia and stuff, yeah. his appetite wouldn't have been great. But he still had a big cheeky grin, still have his devilment. He was an awful messer. Right, okay. So he still, so had, he he still had his wits about him, that's he for sure. He still had his wits about him, yeah, yeah. yeah. And physically, how was he? I mean, okay, you said he lost weight because obviously his appetite wasn't Yeah, no, good. physically he was fine. He was walking around and, you know, yeah. um, he would take to the bed all right for hours. He'd love, love to sleep and stuff. But physically he was still mobile and all the rest of it, yeah. Okay, and did you expect him to pass away, you know, I suppose so soon? Or did you expect, Asher, look, he'll probably live longer than I will. Was it that kind of, I mean... Did you expect- no, we knew kind of the dementia that he had, the forms that he had, it would be rapid enough, but we never thought he would go as soon as he did. I suppose when you, like, the last time I would, I got, would have got to FaceTime him at the end of March. Yeah. And he was in bed, and you're talking 10 days later, He we got a call to say, no, he's yeah. deteriorated rapidly. Like, he's, you know, we got the call to go up, like, Easter weekend. Right, okay. Um, that he wasn't good. And he had, been, he had been tested for COVID-19, but but they don't... So we kind of yeah. assumed that... I actually got in to see him, believe it or not, on Easter weekend. And there's not many, I think, that could say that at the minute. We gowned up uh, face masks and stuff. Um, I got in to see him on my own and uh, for about 15 minutes. And he's heavy, very laboured breathing. I got a shock at the amount of more weight that he lost and stuff like that. But I was still told there was no COVID in the nursing home. Okay. Um, and then they kind of said, We'd look, it's only a matter of time, kind of a few days. So that's grand, but it kind of lingered. I got to see him, I suppose, the Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I didn't go in on the Tuesday, Wednesday. We got a call, look, at, come in and say goodbye. So I got a call to go in, went in for about 15 minutes. Um, still no tested for COVID. They just said he'd matter of hours. Um, they had only recently got in a palliative care guy who was in just, say, Easter weekend on the Friday. He was like, no, couldn't really call it. He just said my uncle was a true fighter. He was hanging on. And on the Thursday evening, I kept waiting for calls and kept checking and stuff like that, ringing the nursing home. And Thursday evening around half five, I got a call to say he was tested for COVID. Okay. And up to that point, he had obviously respiratory problems. Um, he was fighting, he had, I'm he assuming, so, a difficulty breathing. He COPD and stuff, and he yeah. would have had breathing problems. So he would have been on a nebulizer. And like there was an oxygen tank in the room. Now, he, anytime I was in, it was never on him. But I was told it was used at certain stages. Okay. He was getting oxygen, I suppose, if needed. He couldn't, they couldn't use the suction on him for fluid and stuff because he just couldn't cope with it. Yeah. Yeah, as so a lot couldn't. of elderly people can't because obviously they have no, to have that and down like the he truth, yeah. kind of would, he would have tried to fight the nebulizer because he would think he didn't need it before. He would have been very kind of proud. He wouldn't have wanted the help. So he went, um, he went downhill very quickly. Then really, he went downhill rapid. Like I had emailed the nursing home on the seventh of April to see how he was because he could never really get through when the phone was and all this started because they like that they would have had 
I was told by themselves that they would have had people coming from Beaumont and stuff in. So the nursing home, because it had been a lot of empty beds, was filled up. So they, And they were so short-staffed as it was, they were fairly stretched. So and when, we were, and did, were you aware care. that when they were moving people from Beaumont into this nursing home and they were kind of clearing the decks in the hospital, so yeah. to speak, to prepare for uh, the influx of people that they had imagined they were going to get, it never actually materialised in the end. But, I mean, did you do you know if those people being brought in were being tested for COVID before they got they into They weren't that? doing the testing at the time. So, like, my understanding was they weren't going to be tested. They weren't testing the people in the nursing homes. And like Dr. De Bruyne said earlier on, if one person was deemed to have it, you assumed everyone have it, and that's the way it was when Jerry passed. Even though we did, wouldn't have had the results back, the funeral directors were to assume that everyone had it. So they were all treated the same, being taken out of the nursing home. So in other words, the doctors that would have been attending to people in the nursing home, similar to Dr. Brune, didn't really know what they were dealing with because they didn't know whether these patients actually had COVID-19 or not a lot of the time. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So up to that point of the, the day before he died, you didn't actually know. So you, it's kind of unclear whether the virus played a role in his death because he wasn't tested in time. But this is it. And like, it's very hard to explain to his wife. They've been married for over 50 years and she was like, oh, I hope he didn't get the COVID. I hope he didn't get it, whatever. That, well, he might have had it. We take it for granted that it was the dementia. But now it's on his death certificate that he had COVID. So what do you do there? It's not something, it's like he's going to be another statistic for this pandemic. And basically, your opinion is that these residential and care homes were basically abandoned by the government and the failures totally of the government. Totally abandoned. Um, between the lack of staff in, they, I think they only started getting the PPE gear in on Easter weekend. Because, um, because when you went in, staff weren't wearing PPE. And they were, like, I would have been, like, they say they were, I wouldn't be one for gloves, but I would have had gloves, gowns and masks and the whole lot on myself. But the girl, the carer could be in the room and she didn't, she wasn't gowned up or didn't have a mask on her. But they were outside the room at the time, but they weren't, they were going up and down the corridors themselves. They weren't wearing any um, face masks or anything like that. And the the cleaners and maintenance staff that were coming in and out, would they have been wearing anything? Um, No, I would have seen them on the corridors the following week when I went to collect the stuff, walking up and down the corridors with nothing nothing on them. They were um, gowned up, say, the likes of myself. Maybe they went in for with the palliative care person um, just to say goodbye to the, their loved ones. And mm-hmm. that was it. I didn't see. Like, you had their sanitizer when you went in the door. Um, and that was it. Like, they did close off. There was no visitors, anything yeah. like that, for weeks. So, like, uh, the carers did move in themselves into the nursing home because one girl told me that she, they said the residents didn't bring this into the nursing home. Is coming from carers. It wasn't their visitors because there was no visitors allowed. Right. Okay. So it was coming from the actual carers themselves. So who, it was who, coming, unfortunately, because because we weren't spending the money and, and prioritising these people. Well, that's it, with, it. And yeah. you were getting agency staff in, and you don't know, like with a lot of that, you don't know where they're coming from either, because unless you have static staff that know that are familiar with residents as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you you don't know where they're coming from. They could be in someone's house that might mightn't have tested positive but could have had it or asymptomatic, different things like that. There is a whole, um, I think the privatisation of the nursing homes has a lot to be answered for and I know there's a lot of backlash and fighting amongst themselves and I think it's very unfair of the families that are grieving, they're getting no comfort. Are you shocked, by the way, when you saw the figures today, and it was in the Irish Times yesterday, of course, and we talked to Dr. Bruno about it today, that over 1,030 people died? I'm shocked and appalled, and I, I, I just think there was no need for it. I think at the time they said, oh, no, the nursing homes are protected, and like I've been following Dr. Clearly they weren't. The start, and yeah. I kind of, I started getting my rage with them at the end, and I kind of, well, actually, no, you're not protecting them in the nursing homes. 
Yeah, well, this is why he resigned because he just couldn't deal. He couldn't deal yeah. with the contrast, and the and the contrast for him was that you know if I or if anybody else in the community uh, you know had symptoms, I could probably get a test. But unfortunately, if I was in a nursing home where I would be the most vulnerable people and more likely to die, and I showed any kind of symptoms, I wasn't getting a test because it was just assumed I had it anyway. Well, that's it. And like my uncle would have been in his room, obviously, for maybe ten days, so he wasn't at risk of infecting anyone or getting anything technically from anyone if they were supposedly isolated like they're saying they've been isolated as well so if he did have COVID how did he get it? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's one that I've anger I've lost sleep over I'm not getting any comfort I'm listening to them all squabble over who's accountability if I think half of them should be fired because if that was any of us doing our jobs and we didn't do it right it wouldn't be stood for. Well people have uh, unnaturally lost their lives I mean lives that could have been yeah. saved I mean don't get me yeah. wrong you know when people are in care homes we know that there's an inevitable end we do end but we don't expect them to go yes. so quick the way they were and families not being able to get in to say goodbye um, I held the phone up to my uncle and hoping that he might have heard his wife saying goodbye I bawled mm. um, because she couldn't come in to see him because she would have been of high risk in her 70s herself and, and like that is so hard for for anybody like the the families that are not getting any um, support in terms of this that's going on with nursing homes, and and that that moment when you had to hold the phone up for his wife to say goodbye to him was was he conscious? Did he? Did he, did he would have been conscious. Yeah, like kind of the. Did he speak? Um, did he speak but to her? mentioned her name even kind of maybe two days before. He would have done a little grunt because they'd always had great banter the two of them. But it's hard to know whether he would have understood. I'd like to think that he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they were best friends. and That must it, have been heartbreaking for her to try and talk to him on the phone. If yeah, she'd have been there yeah. and, and seen her or whatever, he had but been nobody there. Nobody was there to hold his hand. We don't know if anyone was there at the very end. Um, you were constantly waiting on the phone to ring, so you don't know. Like, people were coming in and out in shifts, but because they were so short-staffed at the same time, we don't know if he died on his own or was there anyone with him as such or do you know that kind of way he just died but in all as the nurses and care staff had been with him in there okay it it wasn't enough that we you'd none of us with him all right okay and do you believe that people i mean look this has been put down i suppose in some sense as a mistake i mean leo radcross was asked this on the late late show and so was simon harrison i watched him on the late late show i actually think ortiz is dreadful for interviews yeah, well, uh, they don't ask the hard questions. Well, uh, fairness, Ryan Tuberty got he's, away he's, with everything. He's no Jeremy Paxman, no. To be honest with you, Ryan Tuberty. No, no, he's not. It's script written, I feel. And yeah, well, was no, it not? I, I mean, for me, I thought that was deeply upsetting. Well, that whole interview yeah. from that, but on that interview a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, and for him to be asked, what you know, do you believe you made any mistakes and what were they? And for him to to actually not answer that question, knowing that we all know, and I'm not going to call it a mistake, and that's why I said to Pierre Starty, because it's not a mistake. A mistake is something that you have no control over. Um, you have control over something when you know the data you see other countries with the same problem and we were the last to get it so we should have known and we made a bad decision not a mistake it was a bad decision on their part they knew it was coming the older people are the most vulnerable in society they're going to be old themselves at some stage what happens if we get a second wave what's going to happen to them in the nursing homes the ones that are still living are they going to be neglected again are families going to have to watch from the outside in looking in at them I don't think they've done enough support for nursing homes to help them. And do you think people should be answerable? Oh, the, God, yeah. For those yeah, decisions? There have to be. We all have to be answerable in any job situation in life. I think they have to be answerable. I think there should be an inquiry into it. 
Um, I don't think, I agreed from earlier on, I don't think that the healthcare workers, nurses had a voice through all of this. Um, HIC was only there if you have complaints, they go in, they'll monitor stuff, but they're not a voice for nursing homes. So they're not. It's the people at the top who made those decisions. It is, yeah. But it's the people on the ground that's dealing with it every day of the week. It's the same across in most jobs. It's the people on the ground that's dealing with it. Your carers out there in the in the public um, getting paid pittance that are going into homes every day. They know their clients. They know the older people in the communities. They're the ones that should have the voice. Well, listen, they know you, the needs. Thank you very much indeed, Sandra, for highlighting No that problem. Thanks and, very and, much for and having once, me on. And once again, my condolences to you and the last year uncle as well and his wife and everybody else involved with him. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks very much. Sir. All right, here we go to Maliki. Maliki, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Maliki? Good afternoon, Niall. Maliki, um, Dr. De Boom was on earlier on, uh, sent us this memorandum which essentially says that there's no point yeah, in testing. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And we heard uh, Sinn Féin obviously talking about it as well and, and suggesting as well, that, and, and in fairness to Sinn Féin, saying this is not a mistake, this is a bad decision. A bad decision, which is clearly, according to the Irish Times yesterday, we look at the figures, has cost over a thousand lives, which is the majority of the people, by the way, who have died of COVID-19. I mean, your reaction to that, do you believe that people should be held accountable? Of course they should, but this is Ireland. We'll have a tribunal which will last about 20 years and nobody will be held accountable because nobody ever is. And this wasn't just an accident. This was a deliberate policy. And I'm lost to see why the politicians who were on refused to, to... challenge the government in any real sense. This was a deliberate policy decision made by the government. It didn't happen by accident. They told us from day one the most the, the people who are most vulnerable to this disease or to this virus were the elderly with underlying problems. The very people you find in nursing homes. And they were thrown to the wolves. And, you know, without people like Marcus De Bruyne and, and, and a few others, none of this would be in the public arena. And RTE came out yesterday morning, for instance, publishing the figures for the different northern homes, as if this was news. From day one, it should have been clear where somebody died, what northern home they were in. Surely when these figures come into the HSE, it says Mary Murphy died in such a northern home. You know, or does somebody just ring up and say, oh, there's 10 people dead on the street. You know, there's... This whole thing has been run as a PR exercise. And we had, you know, Veradker on um, the Late Late Show. You'd think he was, uh, that there was an election campaign on, because that's what it was. It was a propaganda feast, no hard questions. When he was asked, had he any regrets? The first thing he should have said was about the old people. But he had no regrets, or he couldn't think of any. He said he couldn't think of any. No, said, so, I, and I, I just, I, I need to play that clip back again. Because when he was asked that question by Ryan Tuberty, no hard questions, by the way, but that, but that one question he was asked, do you have any regrets about the decisions obviously made uh, during COVID-19? And he said he couldn't think of any. I found well, that shows, just just absolutely unbelievable. When these figures, well, were, unbelievable. Unbelievable. When these figures shows, were available to him. It shows the egotistical nature, the same as him last weekend, prancing around the Phoenix Park. This is about image. This is about PR. But look at all of There, there must be a thousand old age charities in this country not one of them has come out of the box and condemned this and challenged it because they're all funded by the state and that's the problem in this country all of these um, so-called charities are really state bodies and they won't rock the boat because their, their, their funding will be taken likewise the unions the, the nurses union or the, the unions for the healthcare workers and all of that whole sector not one word about this not one word from them about um, no PPE for um, nurses and, and doctors. 
because they're part of the establishment now. You know, this country... But I mean, what I find difficult to, to understand, and somebody texted earlier on, they won't come on the air, but they're from a, they work in a care home, and they said they found it quite disturbing. And, and by the way, I don't want to take away from the good work that the doctors and nurses in the hospitals have done in this country and the preparation they had did to, to deal with a situation, which, which thankfully didn't happen the way they predicted it would happen. The, 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 the major hospitals in this country have been practically empty for most of this, um, and they haven't had as much work as they had planned or perceived they were going to have, which I'm delighted to hear, but I am still absolutely an admiration of them that they were willing to do that and put themselves on the line and they did put themselves many of them on the line but many of them unfortunately and, and some of them died but, but absolutely but the point is is that somebody mentioned that in the care homes she was watching like you know penny dinners being, or dinners being brought in and fancy dinners being brought in all this work and clapping for the heroes every single Thursday or whatever it was that they were doing meanwhile you know the people that were really being affected were in nursing homes they were the ones that were dying were in nursing homes and nobody was focusing on that. We were all focused on the hospitals and clapping for the heroes and all this kind of stuff and the doctors and nurses in hospitals when the real work and the real tragedy was happening in nursing homes. And this is because we're continually fed on the media, wash your hands and all this whole programming of people right through, particularly RTE. And well, well, the there's, well, there's no, there's no it, harm in promoting washing your hands. I mean, the Maliki, well, I mean, even with well, no, COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I mean, that is scientifically proven to stop us. And for instance, last week, on last Monday, we had two sections of 6-1 News about um, Cummins in, Amer- in, the, in Britain bringing his child to, to his parents, which nobody in this country, I would say, gives a damn about. Yet, Varadkar, there was silence. But one of the other issues, and we listened particularly, you know, two years ago to women's health, and they told us, that, that, for instance, abortion was a woman's health issue, and this was a major concern of people, women's health. There are no cervical smear tests now. Women will die from that. There are no mammograms being done. Women will die from that. There are no prostate tests for men. Men will die from that. And when the HSE is asked about when these services are going to return, we're told, oh, we don't know. You know, what kind when, of... When, when, and listen, to the, the, the problem with this is is that the, the reason that they, we don't know when these tests will return is because we have to make sure it's safe for staff and safe for people who are doing the tests. When realistic, when we look at the statistics, there is no danger to anybody to do these tests. There's very little risk no. at all, actually. Well, when we leave the man who's dictating what's happening in the current situation, the man who said that there was no problem last year with cervical smears, you know, and he's left in place and he's somehow now almost a saint, you know. Okay, well, well get, getting back to the care homes, so you clearly weren't surprised when you saw these numbers yesterday in the Irish Times. Sure, how could anybody be surprised, Matt? Well, it seems that people are surprised. I've been, well, sa- I've been saying it for four weeks, but now all of a sudden people yes, seem surprised about it. Your programme, Niall, is the only programme, yet again, that's shown up a difference and really questioning what's going on. It was very clear from the figures, as they were being announced every day, that there was a problem in nursing homes. Marcus de Bruyne, as, as he said, resigned from the committee. You know, and it was just, uh, and as you said, uh, sure, we just paint him as a madman. Anybody who questions anything in this country is, or, or thinks outside of the box, or raises very serious concerns, you know, is painted as some kind of a right-wing bigot or some kind of a Trump lover, or some kind of a nutter of one description or another. Yet, people in nursing homes, over a thousand people died. Outside of that, barely anybody died. 
And the real, I mean, realistically, we do know many of those people uh, would have been close to death. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing that fact. But many of those people would have had, you know, another year in their lives, two years in their lives, maybe. And, and many of those people, as Marcus de Bruyne rightly pointed out, should, shouldn't have died. They certainly shouldn't have died now. No. And to die for an old person, you know, to die without any family there, then to be denied a funeral, the one thing that that, that generation particularly wants at the end of their days is the correct funeral. And we're told, and, and I mean, even if you accept and social that, distance and yeah, that two metres, yeah. the churches are some of the biggest buildings in this country. Social distancing is is perfectly possible there. And for, like, again, the leaders of the church in this country, Dermot Martin in, in Dublin. Well, there, yesterday Dublin, he said it, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he, he told that the church in, in, in Dublin there, the church of... In Vienna, Black Rock, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. In, you know, we go back to penal times. Well, I, well, I suppose he's just taken the advice. Like, I mean, Malachi, in fairness, I know a lot of logical, intelligent people who are taking the advice from the government. And I'm not suggesting people shouldn't because absolutely we all need to be careful. That, like every other virus, it's dangerous and it can take people's lives. But clearly the evidence has shown us now that the majority of deaths in this country, the vast majority of deaths in this people in this country were clusters in homes where people were together, who people who were vulnerable and people who were unwell as well. And where, where the state took people out of hospitals who had... And, and didn't test them, by the way. Them into nursing homes. And didn't even test them before they did that. Uh, thank you, Malachi. Loads and loads of people are texting in. Uh, the number is 087 I want to get your reaction. Could this have been avoided? I absolutely believe it could. I'm not suggesting all 1,030 of those people who died in care homes could have been saved. None of my suggesting that for a minute. Many of those people sadly would have probably passed away or succumbed to other, some other virus like influenza or whatever other virus it happened to be. Uh, because we can't protect people forever. And I understand that at the end of life. But certainly, from what we're being told today, those people, many of those people, would be still with us today if the right decisions had have been made by the government. There are so many people, by the way, texting in. So many people getting very angry. I want you to go into this weekend. It's a long bank holiday weekend. I want you to enjoy yourselves. I want you to enjoy the sun, obviously, out your back garden or whatever it happens to be. Or go for your little walks or sit in the park or whatever it happens to be. But I want you to reflect for the whole weekend on what we're talking about today. What you have spent the last nine weeks doing. You spent the last nine weeks under instruction from our government to protect each other, to protect our population. When indeed our government, the people who have told you to keep your distance, to wash your hands, uh, if you were thought you had COVID-19 or been in contact with COVID-19, to go and get a test done, to make sure that we could contact trace. The people who have told you to do that have made a bad decision, very bad decision, where the most vulnerable people, the people you were told to protect and the people we wanted to protect, were basically abandoned. That's exactly what we're talking about today. And that's exactly what happened. And realistically... You, the people in society who are not in care homes, who are walking around your day-to-day business, were not at risk. Unless, of course, you were elderly or had an underlying condition. You were not at risk at all, probably. That's the real, real story. And those who we really believed probably would have succumbed to a virus like this were abandoned. We were told that if one of them in the care home had tested positive, there was just no point in testing the rest of them. That was it. Let me go to Padraig. Padraig, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Padraig? Good, Niall. How are you, man? Good, Padraig. Uh, Padraig, your mother's in a nursing home. Yeah, I was speaking to you there at the beginning of all this. Right. And how um, is she and, now? Uh, you know, we survived it. She survived it. It's Good. brilliant. Um, I'm delighted to hear that. They didn't get into the nursing home. A bit of luck and a bit of hard work. 
Um, but uh, the thing is now, we have to move forward. Yep. We're looking into the future, and we, uh, her, she's, we visit through the window, you know. We're, yeah. Um, she's getting more confused, dementia's setting in, and head more so than it was. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question, is there anyone out there that can tell us? What way, what's the next, what's, like, they didn't plan, obviously, for the mess that we got it into, and all these people died. So now, what's the plan for the future, for a quality of life? my mother and thousands like her, that are able to leave nursing home. Um, that, that, you know, she used to love myself. We'd, I'd go in, I'd bring her out. I'd bring her for a cup of coffee. I'd bring her for... Uh, for a walk, just house, a bit of exercise. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah. Well, she's in a wheelchair, so... And, you know, she was able to enjoy two or three times a week leaving the nursing home. She can't now. She's, she knows what's going on, but... She's no quality of life. You're better off in jail. Jail would be way ahead of a nursing home situation. Well, I, I, I suppose the now. good news, the good news, Patrick, is when we mm. listen to the figures and the, the testing, although I don't know how much testing has been done, the good news seems to be that we're suppressing this particular virus and, and certainly the risk isn't as high yeah. as it would have been nine weeks ago if you brought your mother out for a cup of tea. But in saying that, you would obviously have yeah. to take the advice of the carers that you're dealing with. But, I mean, what do you think the future is? Well, now, look, um, my thing is, at this moment in time, the virus is never going to be a, a, a lower. We never have as low a risk as we're at now. Probably. I think it's possible. There's a possibility this is going to go back up with the movement of people and everything else. And 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 you're right. That, that that's an absolute possibility. Yeah. But in saying yeah. that, you know, we, we have. Experts across the world, even the WHO themselves, although our government is not really saying it, saying that the chances of a second wave are probably very low. But in saying that you are right, the cases will go up and the majority, the vast majority of people, it won't even affect them. But unfortunately for your mum, she is in a risk category. She is, she is. But she also knows that her life isn't worth living the way it is. Because she's miserable, yeah. Miserable, and so are all the rest of them. Now, you know, there's so what's, so what's, so what's the trade? There's a trade-off then, isn't there, Patrick? There has to be a little bit of a risk balance. There does. And, like, I trusted the nursing home to keep the virus out. Now, I, it's time that the nursing home can trust me to take my mother out for an hour or half an hour. You know? Okay. And, and as, well, as long as your mother is consensual and understands that risk, do you think she understands that risk? would, she would, and she'd be the first to say to you, here, let me out. She well, her, her, her saying well, well, is... Well, that comes down to... Well, I suppose we could go back to the argument of my body, my choice, um, yeah. and, and that's yeah, up to yeah, you yeah. And, her mo- and your mother, and obviously to consult with the, with the care home itself, but that, yeah. that would be the risk that you would have to take, and she would have to take. Yeah, but I don't think the, the, the home is going to let me do that. Okay. And I don't really get on that well with the manager, <laughs> to be honest, and I, 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 I think that the, the, the draw a line, you know, I See, I suppose from their point either. of view, from their point of view too, and, and I suppose we have to look yeah. at the, the bigger picture, yeah. uh, is that if you take your mother out, even with her consent and your consent, and we yeah. know there's still a, still a, the we know there's a tiny risk that if your mother did get COVID nineteen, or you did, or you had COVID nineteen, yeah. and pass it on to your mother, which is very unlikely at the moment, but in saying that the risk is still there, and she went back into that home, well then mm. she is with other residents in that home. Yeah, and you're infecting the whole place again, yeah, which and, is not and, on. And, and, and I that's understand the risk. That. That's the risk. So now, that's why I'm sort of on. Is there anyone out there? Where Where's the ideas? Or where Where do we? What but do there we is, do? But there is. I mean, in in your situation, Patrick, and I understand exactly your situation. There is no real answer to that situation. Mm-hmm. You either 
protect or you don't protect. So you either mm-hmm. accept that somebody may catch it and die or you protect them by leaving them there. And that's a very tough decision and difficult decision to make. Uh, no, you couldn't leave the, the, the guys there the way they are, the, no. the older people. You can't. It, it, it's not, it's, it's inhumane. Um, it's, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> um, okay. Well, well, well I, I'm sorry to hear that. And I know it's a really tough place you're in at the moment, Patrick, and that your mother's in. And I wish you well on that. I want to go to Mary as well. Mary, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Mary? Thank you. Yeah, I was just listening to him there. And I think the unfortunate thing is, just as he was going off the phone there, is that he trusted them with her welfare. And how can he trust them now? Because they're the same people in charge that have already started to lawyer up. And they really are lawyering up because I saw one of the debates last week on TV. Now, the problem is I'm very bad with names, but they were having a discussion about this very situation and the uh, allowances that the, the HSE were giving the care homes and how it had only just started arriving at the end of April. And they were saying, but we've been asking for this. But then the guy sitting next to him seemed to be representing the government from their point of view. Or the HSC said, yes, but you did get the money. He said, no, but we didn't get it until too late. Yeah, but are you saying to me that you didn't get it? And the discussion was going on to browbeat him verbally, to try and put him in the wrong for asking for money in the first place to help him with the nursing homes so that they could get the equipment they needed. They could get the oxygen. They couldn't get oxygen. They had to. They were told, if you want oxygen, you have to give us the empty cylinder first. Yeah, and there right, were people in there. Yeah, yeah, there were people in there that weren't suffering from COVID that needed the oxygen for some other ailment that they had. But yes, they were still being refused for extra supplies. And this guy sitting there in the door was saying to this guy that he was more or less trying to blacken what this came out of this guy's mouth that was trying to help the old people. Now, to me, that's insufferable because the damage was done. They did it intentionally. Hold your hands up. Look at the hurt you caused, the absolute despair you've caused, and you still want to call black white. I mean, you, you were listening today to Marcus De Bruyne. Obviously, he gave us this document today, um, <clears> this <throat> memorandum, which yeah. basically said that if one person, yeah, one person has it, just assume the rest have it and don't bother even testing them. <sighs> meanwhile, oh, yeah. meanwhile, we were testing people who didn't need to be tested. Yes. Now, this is the thing. It's, it's, let's just call a spade a spade. They are not qualified for the jobs. And certainly the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, is not qualified because if you have a medical background, you will understand what the experts are But Leo Varadkar has a medical background. Well, he's not the one that was making the decisions over health care. Well, he was the one would have to stand over those decisions because I'm sure well, he, not, he, has, yes. he has to be consulted by, you know, Tony Holan and by Simon Harris and by Neffet. So he's the one ultimately who decides what decisions get the go ahead. He is the Taoiseach. Well, how come all of them made the same decision? All of them that are supposed to be learned. All of them that are supposed to be advisors. And they could not, this could not have happened without it being sanctioned by all of them. How possibly could learned men make that decision about vulnerable, the most vulnerable part of our population that we're supposed to respect? And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. Well, it's just, I'm lost today. Absolutely I lost. heard you four weeks ago. You've been on about it for weeks. But I mean, I know um, about the second week into it, I was tweeting all the time, stop clapping, for God's sake, and just give them the PPE. 
the poor people in the nursing homes were being treated by people who didn't even have any protection. But the people we were clapping for, with respect to those people who worked hard in those doctors and nurses and hospitals, never got the big wave they were expecting. They never had to do what they were expected mm. to do. Although, in fairness to them, they were willing to do it and happy yeah. to do it. The people who really needed that clapping were the people who were in the nursing homes. And I say clapping, they wanted yeah. assistance. They wanted PPE. They wanted money. They needed it, Clapping did help. nothing. Clapping did nothing. That was just a, a ploy. That was just to make you feel good about what was happening because you were contributing somehow to the, the appreciation of these people. That was just a mental ruse. It oh. has nothing to do with the welfare of anybody I, sick or protecting the people who were, who were minding them or taking care of them. Listen, Mary, I, I'm running out of time rapidly, but I understand exactly what you're saying. The care homes were basically sacrificed in the big picture in the last nine weeks. Uh, thank you, Mary, for that. Before we go today, uh, I think it would be remiss of me not to play this. This is the clip where Leo Varadka, of course, was on the Late Late Show and he didn't know if the government had made any mistakes, but certainly he couldn't remember any. Have you any regrets about how the situation has been handled by you, by the government, at this point? Um, I'm sure I have loads, but I'm not, <laughs> I, can't give you, can't, I can't give you one off the top of my head, but um, I, I think it's, you know, you never get anything, there's nothing you ever do in politics or life that's 100% perfect. Uh, and this is the first time in a century that any government, any governments anywhere in the world have had to deal with the pandemic. Well, then let me ask um, you another way. Like one of the things, one of the things for example, sure. that, that, that's just, just, just thinking of the future and also looking yes, back. Yeah. One of the things I'm sure we would definitely have done, had we known, would, would have been stockpiling. We would have stockpiled ventilators and stockpiled PPE. Um, as it happens, we wouldn't have needed the ventilators because uh, we, we didn't get overwhelmed. It would have been great if we had a stockpile of PPE. I think one thing we're going to have to do in, in the future, and we'll have to do it this year, in fact, is be much more ambitious around our flu vaccine program um, because um, a lot of people don't get the vaccine. Less than half our healthcare staff uh, get the flu vaccine. There's, an, it's, there's a risk, it's unlikely, but there's a risk of a second wave of coronavirus and the flu happening at the same time this winter. That would be an absolute disaster. So physical so, distancing and all of these new things are with us for the foreseeable future. Yeah, they're just going on and on and on. So, there you go. No mention, no mention of the elephant in the room whatsoever. The elephant in the room, of course, was they should have focused on people who died. 1,030 people died in care homes. But of course, Leo worries about we didn't have enough PPE and we need to focus on the future of the flu vaccine. But no mention of the 1,030 people that essentially the HSE abandoned with their own statement in a memorandum. Have a think about it over the weekend and get angry. Get angry. That's what I say. Stay safe. Get angry. That's the new motto. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.